new documentary examining the black mortality crisis and racial inequities in health makes its debut at the Santa Barbara International Film Festival this year. To learn more, I spoke with Dr. Michelle Keels, the director and producer of The Fight for Black Lives. All right, so starting off, could you just introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. Um, so my name is Michelle Keels, and I'm the director and producer of the documentary called The Fight for Black Lives, and I'm also a professor at the University of Chicago. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us today. So, as you were mentioning, before becoming like a documentary filmmaker, you were a professor, and you still are.、Um, what is your academic background, and how did that influence the development of the fight for Black Lives? Yeah. So my、um, I'm in a, an interdisciplinary program, which is、um, it's called comparative human development, which just essentially is、um, a professional way of saying it's a department for. Faculty members who don't really fit in any particular discipline, because we、um, try to look at the issue or the question, and try to look at it from many different disciplinary angles, rather than necessarily sticking to one particular discipline. I just think issues of inequality are so complex.、Um, There are psychological issues associated with it, how it affects the individual. There are sociological issues associated with it, you know, the society that we live in, and how that matters. There are historical aspects too, and so for me, I just find myself、um, pulling from all of these dis- different disciplines to try to understand the persistence of inequality across generations and how it has. Many different effects, like health effects that we tackle in the documentary, education effects,、um, workplace effects, and all of those different things.、Um, so that's been doing、um, that research work on inequality, and essentially, probably about ten years ago, wanted to start.、Um, Moving from just writing research articles and papers that document how、um, racially unequal things are, how much socioeconomic status and、um, and wealth matters for kids' life outcomes and all of these different outcomes, and really starting to think about how does you know how can this research and this work that comes from many different disciplines, how can、um, Translate it and write it, or in the terms of this documentary, do a more narrative work, sharing that information. And so that started、um, about ten years ago when thinking about my work on children's exposure to violence and trauma.、Um, and then when the pandemic came around,、um, and just the high levels of overall mortality and disparate mortality. And that pushed me to do this documentary instead of writing another article or another paper around the broad social determinants of health health equity and health inequity and how it has persisted through through history. Instead of doing another like another research article on it, trying to think about how can we share that same information but use narrative.、Um, To communicate that, that's really fascinating. So, the impetus a little bit was the pandemic and 2020. It was like such a big year, 
Do you want to talk a little bit about how that specific year influenced this documentary? Yeah. Uh, for me, it was knowing, um, I guess, knowing the science side of it, knowing that the pandemic in particular wasn't anything new in terms of when we think about health disparities and that historically um, any major health disaster, um, you know, from earliest records of like the, you know, the, the flu, the yellow fever, uh, AIDS ep epidemic, even more recent um, avian flu when that has come through and any major health issue, you see the ver the same racial disparities in um, exposure, in uh, poor health outcomes and in death. And the pandemic is simply another one that has come along. And in this, in our generation, it's absolutely huge, um, but the disparities, that part of it, that's nothing new. And listening to, I guess, the media coverage and popular discussion about it that still talked a lot about, well, individual health behaviors and what people, individual groups of people may have been doing wrong in terms of protecting themselves from the virus or um, being unhealthy and so making them more vulnerable as a group of people, but really thinking that what we know is that it's the systems and it's the policies that place different groups of people more at more risk um, and also have less resources in order to recover when they do get sick. So it's all of those systems and structures and policies, access to healthy neighborhoods, healthy foods, access to health insurance, to be well and not just going to the emergency room when one is sick. So it's all of those things, but we keep talking about like individual health behaviors. And so that is what pushed me to think about doing something other than writing a, like another research article, because we have the data and we have the numbers, but you know, the general public's not going to read those articles. Right. Right. And, um, I'm just thinking back to 2020. I mean, that was like the summer that Black Lives Matter really, you know, gained a very prominent national stage. And I'm sure that has also influenced this documentary as well. Yes, it, it influenced me in the context of, so for me, what I was questioning is to what extent um, do we go back to business as usual after the crisis is over? So that is the way in which we it influenced me in the sense that there's this moment, um, there's this uprising, there are all of these um, states and cities, as well as the CDC declaring racism as a public health threat. But what are they doing? And, you know, to shift policies and practices so that we don't end up here again at the next pandemic with the same level of disparities. So those were the things that I was questioning um, and thinking uh, how to do something that would persist uh, in terms of our ability, bringing us back to thinking about these issues. Um, it definitely was a huge moment. Um, 
and the extent to which that those uprising pushed our thinking on these issues. But do we go back to um, business as usual once the crisis has passed? Mm-hmm. Um, I was hoping you could talk a little bit about what viewers can expect from this documentary. If you could just like, because I know you talk to um, experts, organizations, but also patients, which yeah. is really important. Yes. So uh, it really, we really try to weave back and forth um, between the experts, um, health equity experts, getting us, to, helping us to understand the systemic nature of this and how these things can only be shifted by um, policies and practices and not individual health behavior changes, as well as taking us in history to think about how long have these persistent health disparities existed. And then interviewing five women who were pregnant during the first year of the pandemic. Um, and, and during that period, you know, what were their fears? What were they worrying about? And then what is it that they experienced in terms of health system mistreatment? So these were not random women, of course, but women who had experienced um, mistreatment in the health system. And then wanted to make a difference by using their voice and using their stories to try to um, provide information to others. So these are women who um, have been talking about it, uh, not just for this documentary, but they've been talking about it. Some of them became doulas in order to be um, an advocate for other uh, Black women during their pregnancies and things like that. So these are women who experienced health system mistreatment, um, but then also once they came out of that process and what they learned from it, wanting to say, well, how do I make sure other women don't experience the same things that I experienced? Um, they're all in like the greater Boston area is where they were. And what we did is we had them interview each other. So we had them talk with each other um, about what they experienced, about what they learned and about what they would want to see differently. And the other piece of it that was important is that it's a broad spectrum of Black women. There are women who had their first child as teen, teen moms, and then there were women who had their first child after um, becoming a PhD and a professor at a university, but still experiencing similar levels of bias and mistreatment in the health system. Because, you know, when they walk into um, to receive care, nobody checks their credentials, right? They just see what they see um, physically and make assumptions and respond based on those assumptions. So we wanted to be able to also show that although these women are very different in their life experiences, um, they are very similar in terms of having to navigate uh, a biased system. I see. Through these conversations with these patients and these experts, what were some of the most shocking or surprising things you heard or found? Yeah. Um, so many, um, unfortunately. One that was really shocking, and it's just a testament to who um, who she is as a as a, as a as a very strong, um, um, so it's Jalisha Jolly, who is a professor um, 
she talked about um, being in the delivery room. She says, feet up in the stirrups, delivering and pushing and um, having to, in that moment, also advocate for them, for her partner, her husband, to stay in the delivery room as her only support. So it was during COVID, um, only able to allow to have one other, one support person in the room, and that was her husband. Um, and she, it was a very long delivery, about uh, two and a half days. Um, that in and of itself was a problem. And you don't get anything to eat. You know, everyone's very stressed and distressed. And her husband started feeling a little bit sick. And But they said, you know, well, you're looking a little sick. So we're going to, you know, you're going to have to leave the hospital, which meant that she would have been there by herself um, delivering her first child. And this is, again, feet up in the stirrups pushing. Um, her advocating to try to say, um, no please don't ask him to leave. Please provide him with COVID testing here. Um, and so they did all of that, tested him there in the hospital. And of course he he did not have COVID and he was able to stay, to stay. But if he had left to go get his COVID test, he would not have been allowed back. So that is just, again, one instance of uh, the things that they were trying to navigate literally in the delivery room while in labor. And all of them have a story like that. Oh my God, that's unbelievable. I can't believe like she had to go through that while like in the most, one of the most physically yeah. taxing moments that you'll thing. ever, oh my gosh, that's, yeah. that makes me so upset. But I hope, is she doing well now? And She is well, baby's fine. Um, Mom is fine. Dad is fine. Everyone is, everyone is well. Um, and that, that is, like I said, only part of her story, um, but just the extent to which, um, again, they had to fight and it was, it should have been automatic of, well, you seem a little sick. Let's make sure you're okay. You know, her, for husband that you don't have COVID so that you can stay here with your partner as she's delivering rather than saying, well, you seem a little sick you need to go, you know, and, you know, she literally, and like I said, she's a professor at university and works on health disparities. And so she was using all of that information to advocate in the moment to say, uh, you know, I know the policies, I know how things go. I know you can test him here. Um, and all of those things to call upon all of that. And she talks about the fact that um, that does give her some small measure of privilege in context to another black woman who might not have all of that knowledge um, and that strength to be able to advocate for herself in that way. Um, and who might say, well, okay, I guess if that's what the doctor says, and that's what I just have to do. Like no one should have to do these things. It's just so frustrating. Yeah. And so, because like, as you're, as this whole documentary is saying, like, this is a systemic, reoccurring, such a prevalent issue. And it's just frustrating that, you know, it's almost like nothing's changing. And it's just, I don't, it makes me very upset, but. Yes, which is the nature of systemic racism, is that it is 
not just, it's not the individuals, it's not just the individual's bias. It is systems and structures and all of the messages and all of the information that you get on a day-to-day -day basis that then unconsciously affects how you engage with individuals. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering like what, I know you talk to some organizations who are working to address these health inequities. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about like what kind of work they're doing and what you see as, you know, an ideal future where nobody should ever have to go through this. Yes. So one big um, thread that goes through the documentary is the support is that support of another person. And so one form of professional support is that of a doula. And some of the two of the women who went through um, healthcare system mistreatment then became doulas in order to be advocates for other women um, as they were going through pregnancy. And having that other voice that's able to, um, one, provide inside information about a system, um, about what resources and opportunities are available that, that you can take advantage of, as well as um, helping with your conversations um, with other healthcare professionals um, before pregnancy, after pregnancy. Um, so that was one big thread that runs through is um, having support navigating the system is a key thing. And so there are many now health advocacy organizations that are trying to um, uh, do a lot more of that is helping people advocate, learn and advocate for themselves as they're going through a system. But also there are other things um, such as just the way our health insurance works um, that that's huge because our health insurance in this country is so tied to employment. Um, if you are a single mom, for example, um, you're going to need to work all the way up to the end of your pregnancy in order to maintain health insurance and then be back at work right after delivery, again, in order to maintain that health insurance. So during a time when you're, fear, you're very vulnerable and it might be important to have rest from work before um, delivery and weeks and months after delivery. Um, it's very different the extent to which at the population level, women from different racial and ethnic groups have access to insurance, not just through their own labor and work, but maybe through their partner's work. And so if your insurance comes fully through your employment, you're going to have to work right up to delivery and be right back on the job after delivery. And that's a, a very um, immunocompromised state. And so that is another thing that really contributes to these disparities. So again, it's like it's the systems and structures that really matter. I'm wondering now if you could talk about the filmmaking process and maybe some of the challenges you encountered throughout this production. Yeah, well, so there was the challenge of um, being in a pandemic. Uh, so we started uh, in 2021, um, you know, and it was not over. It's still not over. 
So they, you know, there are still too many people um, getting infected um, and getting sick. But we were still um, in the middle of very intense period of it. So there was that aspect of it. And, you know, and making sure that our um, filming conditions that we were all in masks and, you know, we only took the mask off when myself and the interviewee and everybody else um, really maintained their COVID protections um, for this. So that was a really big piece of it. And then um, another aspect of it, um, especially when it came to interviewing, um, well, we didn't interview them, the women, the five women who tell their stories, what we did instead was create, um, so we rented a farmhouse and um, in the just outside of Boston and really created um, a warm, safe, comfortable context. Um, we had had the day catered. We did lots of things and then brought them and have them have a conversation with each other on the couch and then around the dinner table so that um because we didn't want to just extract their stories. We wanted it to be not just a time of getting their information so we could share it with the public, but we also wanted the day to feel good to them. Um, so that was that was a big part of what we did in terms of um, learning about these women's stories was to have them talk with each other um, about their shared experiences and learn from each other. They all learned something um, from each other during that day. And then another big piece was going back and sharing what we were going to put out in the documentary with them. Because um, we wanted to also make sure that we created such a, a, a safe space that they were very open about their experiences. Um, and so there were at some points when they might share something and talk about something and they would look at me and they'd say, wait, are you going to put this in? And I'd say, no, I'm not going to put that in. I can, under I get that that, that is just for us to have heard in this moment and in this conversation. And it's not something that you would want shared out into the world, but we still um, gave them back um, an earlier draft of it. And we took out a couple parts and a couple pieces, you know, a few minutes here and there, where a couple of them responded and said, you know what, that's still a little bit more than um, I want shared out there in the world. And we thought that was really important to um, just uh, respect, value, um, and make sure that none of them would walk away from this um, feeling exploited in any way. Uh, so that, that was really, that was really, it was a balance of, we wanted to make this so safe that you would um, be very open um, with sharing your experiences, but then still come back and say, oh, remember, we're going to share this with the world. So let us know if anything in here is too much. I mean, that's really amazing that you created such a nice welcoming space for them to have this dialogue. And, you know, I think it's really cool that you got them to speak to each other about it because like as you're saying that shared experience is so important and it sounds like they felt very comfortable and I'm glad yeah. you gave them that opportunity. Yeah. yeah it was a joy to just be there in the room listening to them.
What were some of the most rewarding parts about this documentary's creation? That seems like, you know, the facilitating that conversation. That sounds really, really incredible. Um, yeah, I think one of the, truly one of the most re rewarding parts was the end of that day when they were hugging each other at the end um, in terms of feeling like I no longer feel alone in my experience, um, you know, that they walked away with that, no longer feeling alone in their experience and feeling and, and saying that they were able to, through this conversation, process some things that they hadn't processed before. Um, so those pieces were really, really, really validating that the conversation itself for them was a healing conversation. Um, and then since then, as some, you know, we've shared it with some other Black women who had similar experiences and having them say, I feel seen in this documentary and I feel I feel validated. So that has been also a really, really, really huge and important piece. Um, and now we are partnering with health equity organizations uh, to see how we can do community screenings with them so that we can use it now as a tool. It's like, so it's like this baby, this documentary has been created. And now what the most important thing that I wanna do is ensure that organizations who are doing the work to change policies and practices, that it can be useful for them in facilitating the discussions that they wanna have. Do you have any final thoughts that you want to leave listeners with before we wrap up for today? Any final thoughts? Um, I think for me, it's just that that the space um, that we all have a part to play in when we think about oppression and inequities in our society. So we all have our own little small part that we can play in um, changing our own little piece of the world. And so each of those little drops and little parts that we play can make something that seems like just overwhelming and um, impossible, that that's what can create change. That was Dr. Misheri Keels, Associate Professor in Comparative Human Development at the University of Chicago, and now the filmmaker behind The Fight for Black Lives, which will debut at the Santa Barbara International Film Festival on February 11th at 12 p.m. and February 13th at 2 p.m. For more information, visit blacklivesdocumentary.com. The full lineup of films at the Santa Barbara International Film Festival can be found at sbiff.org. Thank you for listening. This is Joyce Chi for KCSB News.